we are excited to dive into the book of Luke. So if you can grab a Bible, if you don't have one, there should be several in the seats in front of you. You're going to need it or you're going to be really bored for the next 45 minutes because I am not that entertaining. Um, You want to turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We started the book of Luke uh, several weeks ago and we've only got about a year and a half left. So (laughs) I'm not kidding. (laughs) That was actually not a joke. Um, (laughs) uh, Pastor Ron has it marked out for 16 uh, months, but you know, Christmas comes and Mother's Day, and then we have to do another week of this and another week of that, and it's going to take a long time, which is going to be great, because uh, we are in uh, a fantastic gospel um, in Luke. So uh, we've uh, talked about the certainty that Luke wanted to give his readers, and this morning I want you um, to be certain of this. Um, that God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. So if you are in Luke chapter 1, we're in verse 57. I'm going to read through the end of the chapter, and I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. All right, this is what Luke wrote down 1,900 years ago. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace." And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for what you have for us in it. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would communicate to each of us what you want us to to know, to learn, to apply from this text. Lord, I pray that we would really uh, listen to what you are saying to us, that this would not be a 45-minute event on Sunday, but that this would be a, a meal uh, that, we, that we feed on all week, that we think about and meditate on and mull over and read over again, Lord, and that we would take this to heart, that we would learn 
from this. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Help us not to waste this day. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. According to dictionary.com, a promise is a declaration that something will or will not be done, given, or etc. by anyone. Promises were surrounded by them. Politicians sling them around hoping to garner votes. They may or may not keep those. Children make their friends promise not to tell anyone about that juicy bit of gossip they just passed on. Uh, Many of us uh, have made promises to completely pay for the vehicle that we drove here today. Uh, We make promises every day when we pull out that credit card out of our wallet, or if you have figured out how to do it, use Apple Pay on your phone. We are surrounded by promises. Some of us are wearing promises on our fingers. Some of you have even spoken promises, perhaps even in this very room, in the sight of God and witnesses, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part, or something similar to that. These are all promises that we are more or less familiar with, and these promises that are made, they build expectations. Um, they, They are not given flippantly. They are given with expectations that they will be kept and followed up on. There are conditions to these promises. Promises that are broken, as we all also have experienced, wreak havoc in our heads and in our hearts and our families, in our institutions, in our churches. Broken promises are just that. They're they're broken. They're fractured. Trust withers away and is only built back up with much caution and much time. However, kept promises, promises that are kept, bring joy and delight, and they reinforce relationships of all kinds. They inspire us, and we have almost this innate appreciation for and love for promise keepers. We watch movies, and when someone keeps a promise, we kind of, yeah, oh, yes, that's good. Um, We read books, and we we desperately want them not to break the promise that they've made. Um, We are drawn into this as human beings. For those of you familiar with the Lord of the Rings trilogy, um, I did not have time to look this up in the book. There happened to be a little child sleeping in the room where the book was. Um, but I, YouTube is available. <laughs> and uh, if you've seen um, The Fellowship of the Ring, a scene at the end of the movie, um, this little hobbit, um, Frodo, is headed off to Mordor to all alone to destroy the One Ring. In his way is untold terror, violence, enemies grotesque creatures, and he rows away in his canoe from the shore, and Samwise Gamgee, his loyal friend, runs out into the water foolishly because he can't swim, and Frodo says this, go back, Sam, I'm going to Mordor alone. Sam says, of course you are, and I'm coming with you. (laughs) After almost drowning because, of course, he can't swim, Sam says these powerful, immortal words. I made a promise, Mr. Frodo, a promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee. And I don't mean to. I don't mean to. And I uh, flipped over in the YouTube to, um, to uh, The Return of the King and watched that at the end where, right, where Frodo's bearing the ring and all is darkness and they can't quite make it to the top of Mount Doom. By the way, I'm sorry for the spoilers if you haven't seen it, but guys, it's been out for a decade and a half, okay? 
Um, <laughs> Sam can't carry the ring for Frodo, but he says those words, I can carry you, right? And he throws Frodo over his shoulder. Everyone's just weeping watching it, right? Or if you're manly, you're just like, something in my eye. Oh. Okay? <laughs> this, this is, we're moved by that. We love that. Um, we love that promise kept to the bitter end. There's something so right in that way of thinking that we resonate with it. We know in the depths of our soul that that's the way it's supposed to be. Promises are to be kept. Unfortunately, we live in a world where many promises, many of our promises that we have made, we have broken. But when we look at the Bible, we're basically looking at a book of promises. Okay, so one of my favorite pastors has, um, it's not really a a commentary set, but he preached um, over the course of two years, he preached a sermon on every book of the Bible. So he'd do a sermon on Luke. Okay, Um, we're not doing that, by the way. Okay, don't get your hopes up. Okay, a sermon on Galatians, a sermon on Isaiah, a sermon on Genesis, um, and put them into two books. And the first book on um, the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, he called Promises Made. And then he came out with the New Testament, um, portion of the volume and it's called promises kept and this is basically his four word summary of the bible promises made promises kept of course there's so much more to it but that's a pretty good summary for us today i want us to see how this passage in luke's gospel shows that god always keeps his promises Um, i took took this title straight from a sovereign grace music album entitled theology Um, and it's the song God always keeps his promises. So I just totally ripped off the title. Um, on the way to church this morning, we listened to this and sang this song. This is how it goes. It's, uh, it's an album for kids, teaching kids theology by calling it theology. Um, oh God, he always keeps his promises. He said the sons of Abraham would be more than the grains of sand, and so his family grew underneath the Pharaoh's rule. O God, he always keeps his promises. He said the blood upon the door would keep the Israelites secure. And so he stayed his hand and led them to the promised land. In the chorus uh, that we all sang at different (laughs) tunes and volumes this morning, our God is good and true. He cannot lie to me and you. We can be sure of this. God always keeps his promises. The last two verses go like this. Oh God, he always keeps his promises. He gave us laws to be obeyed, and we broke every one he made. But when we ran from him, God said he'd take care of our sin. Back to the chorus. In the last verse, oh God, he always keeps his promises. He said his son would set us free. Through his death at Calvary, he suffered in our place, and then he rose up from the grave. Our God is good and true. He cannot lie. To me and you, we can be sure of this. God always keeps his promises. And this is what I want us to see here in the passage here at the end of Luke chapter 1. So if uh, if you'll remember, you can cheat and look in your Bible and look at some of the titles of the past few weeks. When we started the book of Luke, we did the first four verses um, where Luke kind of gives an introduction and tells what his purpose is in giving certainty to a man named Theophilus about um, this account of Jesus' life. Uh, Then we are told of Um, an angel visiting uh, an old priest named Zechariah um, and telling him, even though you and your wife are old and beyond childbearing years, you're going to have a son. The the son is promised. Um, Zechariah uh, has a little trouble believing that, as some of you... Can can we just just imagine that, by the way? Um, Some of you folks who are 
not as young as he used to be. Um, can you imagine an angel showing up and saying you're going to have a, a kid or another kid, right? And my kids are in their 40s. Well, <laughs> this is an incredible thing that God has done. And Zechariah, I think sometimes he gets a bad rap, but come on, wouldn't you do the same thing? He doesn't believe Gabriel. And so Gabriel says, by the way, you can't talk for the next uh, nine months until this boy comes and Zechariah is struck mute. Um, the scene shifts in verse 26 to um, Nazareth and a, a, a girl who is a virgin who is betrothed to be married to a man named Joseph. And Gabriel shows up to um, this woman and even greater than this elderly woman um, being promised a son, this virgin woman is promised a son and she believes and she submits. Um, last week, uh, Phil taught us about Mary then visiting her relative Elizabeth um, and little John the Baptist, or J-Bap as I call him, um, inside of Elizabeth leaps for joy when little tiny Jesus is inside of Mary. And then we have the Magnificat um, that Phil taught through last week. Mary sings to God, praising him for what he has done. And that leads us to our passage here this morning, starting in verse 57. So you got a few points in your notes this morning. Um, so try to keep up with those. Uh, point number one in your notes, a merciful and faithful God keeps his promise to an old couple. A merciful and faithful God keeps his promise to an old couple. Uh, one of the themes here in the beginning parts of the book of Luke is this theme of mercy. Of uh, mercy. Um, mercy and grace are kind of like the two sides of one coin. Okay, so grace is basically getting something you don't deserve, and mercy is usually defined as not getting what you do deserve, right? And so um, mercy is highlighted here. In fact, we're going to see it three times this morning in our text. Um, But God is merciful, and he's also faithful to keep his promise. Um, Some of you maybe have, have never read the Bible, or you've not read much of it. Some of you may be so familiar with it, it's hard to kind of see it with new eyes. But just imagine... You've read this book from the beginning, and you've gotten here now to Luke. You've read Matthew and Mark, but you get to Luke, and it's a a different account from a different perspective of the same story of Jesus. And you get here, and you are beginning to hear echoes. Huh, a woman can't have children. Hold on, I've seen this one before. I've seen this one before. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca. Jacob and Rachel, Hannah, right? There's others that we've seen, Samson's mom. And then we see it twice, basically, right? Elizabeth, uh, almost impossible pregnancy. And then Mary, a very impossible pregnancy. And if you've been reading your Bible, you should be going, oh, something's going to happen here. Something very interesting and different is about to happen. And so as you see... um, the time for Elizabeth to give birth comes. And it seems like, as you read the story, it seems like either very few people know or nobody knows. Um, it says that she hid herself away for several months. Um, and you have to remember, uh, we don't know exactly where Zechariah and Elizabeth live. They live in the hill country of Judea, um, probably within a uh, day's walking distance of Jerusalem, Bethlehem, and that region. Um, But you've got to understand, unless you lived in one of uh, two or three big cities, you lived in a village, and there were dozens 
maybe hundreds of people in the village. Um, so it wouldn't be too hard to hide yourself away, or especially with um, the clothing um, that women wore in the period, um, to cover up and to hide that she was pregnant. It seems that that's the case. That's my reading of the text here. It seems like it's like, whoa, where did this come from? Um, and she has the boy. In verse 58, her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. They heard this. Wow, unbelievable. God granted to her this child, a child that she was never able to have. And their response at the end of verse 58 is exactly the right response. Their response is they rejoiced with her. This is a theme that we've seen already in the book of Luke, and we'll see it again um, next week, um, is this theme of joy, great joy, rejoicing. Uh, This should be a hallmark of Christians in uh, our individual lives, in our family lives, in our church life. We should be known for our joy. Now, some of you, um, you're, uh, maybe you're more introverted, maybe you're a quieter person, um, and now you're like, oh man, now he wants me to be like, ah! and joyful all the time and I just can't make that up. I don't want to fake it. That's not what the Bible is requiring of you. Joy looks different for different people, right? There are some people in your life you knew that if they were rejoicing, you would be able to tell. And you would be able to tell if they weren't rejoicing because it'd be very obvious. And and that's fine. And there's other people that their joy is a quiet, peaceful joy. Um, Whatever the case, we ought to be the people known for our joy that will look different a little bit differently, but it's centered around our God. We rejoice when great mercy is shown. Um, I know that many of you have uh, remarked to us that when um, someone gets up in that baptistry and shares their testimony and we put that person under the water and bring them back up, it is one of the most joy... And you may, maybe you don't even know them, <laughs> but it is this joyful family celebration in our church as we see someone put under the water and come back up symbolizing new life in resurrection from the dead. We rejoice when God keeps his promises. We see how good and kind God was to keep his promise to Elizabeth. Can you imagine Elizabeth's pregnancy? I mean, that long? Um, Is this really happening? Is this really going to happen? God, keep this baby well, keep this baby healthy, keep this baby safe for nine months. And something that she's seen all the other women in her life go through. And now for once, she gets to experience it. Here is this boy, and here is great joy. In verses 59 through 64, point number two in your notes. An old couple obeys God and is blessed. An old couple obeys God and is blessed. And see, if you've missed the last few sermons, you're really going to need to go back and look at the promises that were made to um, Zechariah and Elizabeth. But here we see that the old couple obeyed God, and they're blessed. When, when Elizabeth heard it, she believed. When Zechariah heard it, he did not believe. And yet God, in his mercy, um, over nine months, gets to teach Zechariah, because he can't speak, <laughs> he has to do a lot more listening, he teaches Zechariah to go back. He gives him a second chance to believe, to obey. And so the boy is born um, on the eighth day, as was the custom, uh, the, the covenant that God gave to Abraham. The eighth day after the birth, um, Jewish families were to circumcise the boy. And so they came together. And verse 59 is very interesting. Um, everyone who comes around assumes uh, the baby's name. And it seems to what we know from Jewish culture that often 
um, the child, especially the firstborn boy, would be named after someone in the immediate family. Dad or grandpa, maybe an influential or close uncle. But we're not having a lot of creativity with names here. Um, So the general expectation is you name the, the boy in line with his family. And so they just assume, well, Zechariah is... He's basically a grandpa. <laughs> he's an old man. Um, he's a priest. He just got to serve a once-in-a-lifetime role, um, burning incense in the temple. His name's going to be Zechariah. But verse 60, his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And everyone goes, John? Now listen, it wasn't because it was a weird name. Um, they've done uh, some research, and John was one of the top five names in Israel at the time, which meant you probably couldn't go very far without meeting another John. Um, Only a few other names were more popular. One of them was Jesus. Okay, and so there were lots of Johns and Jesuses. Now, that's why this is John the Baptist and Jesus is of Nazareth, so we can distinguish people here, okay? John's name means Yahweh is gracious. The Lord is gracious. Um, In the Old Testament, you'll see it as Yohanan. Okay, it's John when it comes over into the Greek and then comes over into the English. Okay, it means Yahweh is gracious. What a perfect name for this boy, right? Yahweh is gracious. It's a common Jewish name. And Elizabeth is very firm. No, he shall be called John. And maybe it's because of um, their lack of uh, respect to women in the culture. Or for whatever reason, verse 61, they go, okay, but none of your relatives are called that that name. Let's ask dad. Okay, so they turn, which I think is hilarious because um, Zechariah has been mute for nine months, right? So it's like, ah, no one talks to him because he's just over in the corner. He can't talk back. It's boring, right? So he's just kind of sitting over there and like, oh, hey, let's ask that guy, the dad. Okay, Zechariah, by the way, can you use your imagination when you're reading the Bible, by the way, okay? Like you're sanctified imagination. Don't make stuff up, but like imagine what this must have been like, okay? Um, you, you turn over and look at Zechariah in the corner. And this is interesting. At 62, verse 62, they made signs to his father. Um, so the thought here is either they forgot that he can still hear <laughs> or perhaps um, he was also deaf. Okay, so there, there's a little bit of different opinions. We're not exactly sure what the case is. The word for mute sometimes is used for someone who is deaf and mute. Whatever the case, they're making signs. <laughs> they're making, have you ever done this when you're like in another country and you're trying to speak, you, you, don't know, you don't speak the other language and you revert to like sign language and you look like a three-year-old, right? <laughs> Doing that kind of thing, like looking around, you're like, baby, baby. Okay, so they're trying to make signs to him and what do you want to name him? Like your, your wife wants to name him John, that's ridiculous. What do you want to name him? He asked for a writing tablet. Okay, now don't, he doesn't have, it's not an iPad tablet. It's a tablet tablet. Okay? It's stone. All right? And what, what probably was the case is it probably had some kind of wax cover. And so you would write with a stylus or something into the wax and it would, it would stay and then you shake it. No, that's a, that's, that's a different thing. Okay? You write it. Sorry. That's went over a lot of young people's <laughs> heads. Okay? Um, you write it in this, with a stylus and you can, you can see the writing and it'll stay there for a while. But then you can also smooth it out and use it over again. Okay, um, so he gets the stylus and you've got to imagine he's probably been using the stylus and this tablet for a long time, for the last nine months. And he writes, his name is John. And it would, it would have come across like that, at least here in the Greek, John is actually the first word of the sentence. John, his name is. Okay, his name is John. And notice, Elizabeth said he shall be called John. And, and um, Zechariah basically says he already is John. Right? And this is obedience 
because when the angel came, the angel didn't give like a lottery for name. Like you can, you can name him one of these six popular names in Israel, okay? Or you can name him after one of these prophets. He said his name's John, all right? Like the little baby that's, gonna, that's not even around yet, okay? His name is John. This shows Zechariah's complete and utter humility. He learned his lesson, okay? He disbelieved and now here, day by day, he sees his wife's abdomen growing. He, I can't, he can't believe it. He's going to have a son. And here comes, and of course, the, the baby's John. Like an angel showed up to me in the temple and said, John, I'm not going to think about it. His name's John. Here is the, the beautiful obedience. His name is John, and they all wondered. Sideline, note this as we go through Luke, all the words wonder amazement, marveling. Luke tends to point these things out in the gospel where it just seems like there's a few extra exclamation points. Some of you guys are kind of texters, right? You know, don't just, one exclamation point is not enough. You need like seven, okay? That's kind of what's going on is Luke keeps pointing out, wow, they wondered, wow, what is going on here? And immediately, verse 64, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. I love that. <laughs> I just love that language. Can you tell? Ah. His tongue, his tongue loosed, right? Like the Jar Jar Binks. His tongue is loosed, Okay. <laughs> He hasn't been able to speak for nine months. And, not, and some of you can't even imagine not speaking for like five minutes. Like this is torture for you right now that I'm talking, okay? Um, <laughs> and he finally has the opportunity. And what does he say? He blessed God. He blessed God. This is a fantastic picture of obedience. And God blesses Zechariah. You see what he does? Um, God disciplines Zechariah. He certainly disciplines him, um, but he doesn't squash him down. He says, okay, Zechariah, you didn't believe me. All right, a little bit of punishment here. Now, let's learn our lesson and let's move on. This is the, the great mercy of God, the kindness of God. Zechariah now blesses God. Now, point number three in your notes um, is going to be uh, verses 65 and 66, but I also want to skip ahead to verse 80 because these verses kind of go together. Um, And the stage is set for something new. That's your point there in your notes. The stage is set for something new. And so in verse 65, the the response to all of these events is, and fear came on all their neighbors. Now, be be really careful because um, I think our tendency is to resonate with how things work in our world. Okay, so um, we had Isaiah on... Sunday night, and, you know, once things calm down a bit, of course, there's phones out, right? Pictures, pictures, pictures. The midwives are like, can I take pictures? Pictures like, ah, hold on. (laughs) Um, There's pictures everywhere. Now we can post the pictures on Instagram, and if you have it linked to your Twitter or your Facebook, there's pictures all over the world, and everyone's going, oh, cute, so cute, oh, congratulations, right? And it's all over the world. There's people in different time zones all over the world saying congratulations. That didn't happen here. Hey, first of all, nobody knew, it seems, that she was pregnant, and we're talking, if the whole village showed up, it was like, us this amount of people okay so fear came on all 47 of their neighbors look what god's doing this didn't happen in jerusalem it didn't happen in caesarea it certainly didn't happen in rome or alexandria or antioch it happened in the hill country of judea we don't even know the village or the town there's a traditional site in israel ein karim but they don't really know it's just five miles from jerusalem hey there's a spot maybe here In this anonymous place, God begins to move and start to do something new in a really, really small way. Really, really, really small. Big miracle, small stage. Okay, it's like that that, that athlete at the school of 18 
who's like the superstar. There's not a lot of competition when there's 18 kids at the school, right? And so we call that a big fish in a small pond, okay? And then once the pond gets bigger, you realize, oh, not that big a deal, okay? So what happens here is huge, but the scale is small, all right? And we find out that the word does spread, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. So it began to spread from village to village, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Now, skip ahead to verse 80. We get a little summary verse here. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. We don't see John the Baptist till chapter 3, and it's 30 years later. Okay? It's the movie where it says, 30 years later, right? You're like, whoa, what just happened? <laughs> right? How did this, how did this happen? So... The word spreads, but it's not like it's earth-shattering news, okay? Like, Caesar is not quaking in his boots in Rome, freaking out about a boy named John in the hill country of Judea. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? I'm trying to find a balance between the significance of this this earth-shattering event that nobody knows about, (laughs) okay? Very few people know about this happening. And yet God here is guiding this child. He's growing. He's becoming strong. The people are asking, did you notice that in verse 66? What then will this child be? Uh, no, excuse me, it, it's who. You, you, or perhaps whom. <laughs> okay? What then shall this child, what then will this child be? I mean, it's very clear in the Greek that it's what. Okay? There's not like wiggle room here. That what then is this child to be? Because they're figuring out this child's made for something. Something's going to happen. What's going to happen? So they're watching. Can you imagine they're watching John the Baptist? grow up and like when's this gonna happen man like this big old birth thing and now just nothing's happening okay and he grows up in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to israel so he's already born in a podunk town and then he spends a lot of his time out in the middle of nowhere where nobody is okay doing what being prepared for the day of his public appearance all throughout the first um chapter of luke we're contrasting john and jesus well comparing and contrasting Right? They're, they're relatives. John's going to be great. Jesus is going to be greater. Okay? John is going to prepare the way for Jesus. He's going to get things ready for Jesus. This is what we're being shown. And so the birth of John this week is going to be compared and contrasted with the birth of Jesus next week. Which, by the way, we are singing Christmas songs next Sunday. Okay? So come ready. Give you a little taste this morning. We're going to be singing Christmas songs in August. It's going to be fantastic. Wear your sweaters. No, don't wear your sweaters. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now, this transitions then into um, a, the, a song that if you grew up in um, more of a high church tradition, you probably heard this, the Benedictus. Okay, last week was the Magnificat that Mary sings. Um, and Zechariah, here his prophecy is called the Benedictus, which means blessing. Okay, um, it's the first word in the Latin. Um, and this is what I want to, us to take a look at. Next, and this is point number four, God keeps his promises to his people. God keeps his promises to his people. All right, so yes, called the Benedictus. Um, There's all different kinds. In fact, if you went on iTunes or you went on YouTube or something, you can find all different kinds of versions of it, um, from um, chanting to um, more contemporary renditions of the Benedictus. But here it is, one of the famous songs Um, And something that the other Gospels don't really do, um, Matthew, Mark, and John, 
um, are, are primarily narrative, and so is Luke, but Luke includes all these songs here at the beginning, um, these beautiful, poetic bursts, uh, outbursts to God. And so I want us to look at how God keeps his promises to his people. One scholar called this song the last prophecy of the old dispensation and the first of the new. So this is the bridge, the bridge between Old Testament and New Testament. This is the bridge between those two events. Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 67, and it says he prophesied. So specifically, this is prophecy. Um, prophecy, we often think of, is um, for, uh, sorry, forth-telling. Sorry, bleh, I messed it up. For, to turn in my notes, foretelling the future, right? But primarily, prophecy in the Bible is actually forth-telling. Okay, so there is this, there is this pre- predictive part of prophecy, but much, and, and we just went through Isaiah, and there was lots predicted for the future, but, but there was a lot that Isaiah was speaking to his people in the here and now. Um, he wasn't, the, the prophets weren't, I mean, John's probably the closest one to one of these guys, but the prophets weren't these doom and gloom um, guys wait, holding signs on the corner of the street. Okay, um, that everyone just walks by and, and ignores. Um, they were speaking sermons, um, prophecies, poems to the people of God. And here Zechariah gives a prophecy. He's, he is filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to speak. By the way, um, blessed, blessed, the word in the Greek there is uh, where we get the word eulogy from. A good speech, a good word. Um, and so um, he's about to give a, a blessing a good word. And so this is how um, this starts. Now, um, one last word. The prophecy um, could be seen, um, and several scholars have seen this, and I looked at it, and I think I, I, think I agree with this. Um, they see it as a chiasm. Some of you have remembered that um, Pastor Leroy and Pastor Ron have pointed some of these out to us, that um, a chiasm is an arrangement of words, statements, events, or themes in which the beginning corresponds with the end, and the next item with the item next to the end, and so on until you meet in the middle. So if you're looking at your text, if you're looking at your text, the song here, the prophecy of Zechariah, it would be basically verse 68 corresponds with 78 and 79 at the end, and then you go towards the middle. And generally, the purpose of a chiasm is to repeat different themes and to meet in the middle, and that's the most important theme. And I think that's the case here. Some people see a chiasm in like every text of Scripture, and it's like, calm down, Okay. There's, it's, not a, it's not a chiasm every time, but this seems to be structured in such a way that this is the case. The, the emphasis is on salvation, on mercy, and on covenant, on oath, on promise. God always keeps his promises. So, um, we'll take a look here at this chiasm, but God is keeping his promises to A, Israel. Israel, verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of... That's your turn. Blessed be the Lord God of... Israel, that's the exact phrase from Psalm 41.13, Psalm 72.18, Psalm 106.48. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. This is Old Testament language. In fact, if you took enough time here in your Bible, if you have, by the way, look right now. If you have a study Bible or you have a Bible with cross-references, you've probably got a ton of cross-references on this song. Um, And it's just Old Testament infused. It, It just feels like the Old Testament. It feels like the themes of the Old Testament. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And this would have been language that immediately begins to speak to the, the core of the Israelite heart. 
This is used in Exodus 4, verse 31, when Yahweh visits his people in Egypt. This is not a tourist. This is a coming to, to be with. God has visited us and redeemed his people. It's, It's language of the Exodus. And in verse 69 through 71, we see that God is keeping his promises to David. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This echoes Hannah's prayer, Hannah's song, when she is given a son um, in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And the horn um, is a a common Middle Eastern reference to a powerful beast, um, an animal that that represents power and strength. And so um, it's a picture, an image of great strength. So if God has raised up a horn of salvation for us, he has raised up strength. Where? In the house of his servant David. And this would echo King David, the greatest king um, in Israel's history, um, who everyone was looking for either a second coming of David or someone like David to come and kick out the Romans. We want someone like David. And it was David who was promised an heir who would sit on the throne. Eventually, God would promise in the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7 that his descendants would sit on the throne forever and his kingdom would never end. That's going to sound really familiar next week in Luke chapter 2. God raises up um, this horn of salvation. This echoes Psalm 89, Psalm 132, Psalm 148, 1 Samuel 2. In verse 70, he references the prophets as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And verses 72 and 73 reference another great Israelite, and that's the Israelite, Father Abraham, had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, right. Verse, verse, if you didn't grow up in the church, I'm sorry. <laughs> that, was a, that was a super church nerd thing right there, okay? Um, verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Now, this is probably the center of the chiasm. So I, I wish I would have had time this week to um, illustrate this for you, but I want you to just look at your... Um, Look at your Bible and look at how this works. Verse 68, you see the word visited. Look down in verse 78 and you will see the word visit. Okay? Go back up to verse 69. There you will see the horn of salvation. Down in 77, you'll see the knowledge of salvation. In verse 70, he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. In verse 76, this promised child is going to be the prophet of the Most High. In verse 71, it was said that they're going to be saved from their enemies. Um, In verse 74, they're going to be delivered from the hand of our enemies. And this begins to work its way towards the middle of the prophecy until 72 and 73 are there and the covenant and the oath are at the center of the chiasm. God is keeping his promises to Israel. He is keeping his promise to Abraham that he would bless all nations, that he would give him a a people and a land. By the way, a a man who was married to a woman who was barren. They had no children when this promise was made. The promise to David that he would have a son who would always be on the throne. God is keeping his promises. Verse 74, there's a very, very important word at the beginning of verse 74. It is? Verse 74, the very first word is? That. (laughs) Wow. 
anticlimactic. No, that is one of the most important words in the whole Bible. That is really important. Okay? Look at verse 93. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that. Why? Purpose. Here is why. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Who ruled the land of Israel this time? The Romans. How did they rule? The Pax Romana, the peace. The peace that was won by crushing your enemies under your heel. Okay? This is a fantastic promise. Not only is God keeping his covenant, but he's doing it to create a people who can serve him without fear. To come before God without fear. How? In verse 75, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. In verse 70, by the way, verses 68 through 75 is one long sentence in the Greek. And the ESV keeps it one long sentence in the English. And I had to take a few breaths in there while I was reading it. So, whoo! Okay? It's very long. And a new sentence starts in verse 76. And the, the, the scene shifts from God keeping his promises to John the Baptist. And you, child, this little eight-day-old baby, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. This is John's mission. John's mission here is being given that he is going to prepare the way for the Lord. He's going to preach forgiveness of sins. He's going to preach repentance, turning to God, which is the promise in Malachi of the Elijah who was to come, who we'll see in Luke 7, is John the Baptist. All these threads are coming together. In the end, verse 78 and 79, because of the, I love this word, the tender mercy, the tender mercy of our God. God is, he's tenderly merciful with us. It's like the little baby being held tenderly. Joey's not squeezing the baby, he's holding the baby tenderly, okay? It's this tender mercy that God is giving to his people, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. This actually in the King James is day spring. Oh, come thou day spring, come and cheer. This is where it comes from right here, okay? The day spring. Um, the, the, the picture of the sunrise, the light bursting forth and breaking over God's people to give light, verse 79, to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, which is almost an exact quote of Isaiah 9, 2. <laughs> All these Old Testament themes is coming through in this passage. To guide our feet into the way of peace. What a beautiful way to end this. Zechariah prophesies, here's what you're going to do, son. Here's your mission, eight-day-old John. Here you go, buddy. All you got to do is prepare the way for the Lord, for the way of peace to come. What a beautiful picture and a beautiful setup as we kind of, the stage is going to shift here and we're going to go away from John and come um, to Jesus. A a few takeaways. Um, You should get to know God's promises. If God is a God who always keeps his promises and you don't know his promises, then you don't know if he's kept them and you can't rejoice in his keeping of those promises. Get to know God's promises. How about this? I will never leave you or forsake you. Isn't that a good verse? Some of you need that this morning. God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That's a good promise. I like that one. How about this one? And we know 
that for those who love God, all things, how many things? All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. These are, these are good promises. This God is the God of second chances. Listen, second and chances, and third and fourth and 75th chances. God is so gracious and merciful to give us chances like he gave Zechariah. Something else we can take away from this is that, is that Zechariah models a proper response. He sings. We're about to sing um, as we celebrate communion. And he sings in response to God. I found this quote. This is great. Think about this as Christians. What we're doing here this morning, what we're doing is unique. The great faiths of the Buddhist and the Muslim give no place either to the need or the grace of reconciliation. The clearest proof of this is the simplest. It lies in the hymns of Christian worship. A Buddhist temple never resounds with a cry of praise. Muslim worshipers rarely sing. Their prayers are at the highest prayers of submission and of request. They seldom reach the gladder note of thanksgiving. They are never jubilant with the songs of the forgiven. We were jubilant this morning as we sang, Great is thy faithfulness. That volume went up in this room because we just resonate with that song. Great is thy faithfulness. There's so many other things that we can look forward to. I would like to ask you to to read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21 in preparation for next week as we look at, at Christmas. Father, we thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. Father, we are the ones who ran from you. We are the ones who turned from you. We rejected your lordship. And yet in your great and tender mercy... You sent John to prepare the way for Jesus. And Jesus, we love you. We cling to you. You are our hope. Without you, we are hopeless. And so we cling to you. Lord, I pray for those who this week were clinging extra hard. I pray, Lord, that this was a reminder that you love them so much. That you love them because you sent Jesus to die for them. You may not bring them out of the trial this week. You may not bring them out of their trial ever. But one day, they will stand before you with a new body, sinless, singing to you. Maybe we'll sing the song of Mary and the song of Zechariah as we stand around the throne and we praise you for what you've done. God, this is good news. We have good news. Help it to be good news outside of this room. God, that we might proclaim this to our family and our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and the world. God, go with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.